Welcome everyone to the Daredevil Podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is a guy so dedicated to the show that he keeps on his wall signed pictures of Ryder Azadi, John Danziger, Savage O'Press, Captain Byron Hadley, The Kurgan, and Mr. Kelvin Inman, because those pictures are there to be seen. It's Pete. Hello, Pete. If you get in my way again, Matthew, I'm going to kill you too. The Daredevil Podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 212, the penultimate episode of season two the dark at the end of the tunnel is brought to you by the karen page school of journalism with legs like that what are they going to make you write the crossword puzzle order in the court one more outburst and i'll hold you in contempt let's enter the evidence into the record and give the devil his due the teaser mat bloody fists young electra three men blocks clack it's stick ellie come here how are your hands they hurt that's of course matt because she's bending her wrist she's got a locket this is a punch this is a punch this is a punch that's s 136 and breathe like i taught you all of this going on, uh, it's revealed as she's being watched by a man who Stick tells her to ignore. The fight begins again uh, with her attention uh, on one of the the sparring partners uh, while the other cold cocks her across the face. Uh, the watching man, Pete, I don't know if we can say his name yet. It's revealed later on. Yes. But the watching man notes that she needs refinement, that she isn't a real warrior yet. But as he says that, young Ellie uh, not only starts to beat one of her opponents, but she appears the to be opponent, trying to kill him. Indeed. The opponent who had blown her a kiss um, prior to starting back up again. So there, there was provocation, Matt, which I think in the grand scheme of this episode is very important. As too is the the animal rage that she she flies into, and it takes uh, takes some efforts on Stick's part to calm her. By the way, Pete, this is a great opportunity to uh, to tip our hats to actress Lily Chi, who plays uh, who plays uh, young Electra. This her first uh, acting credit, at least on IMDb, and uh, I think uh, did a, did a heck of a job. Won't be her last, and she certainly had a lot to sink her teeth into. So great job there out of young Miss Chi. But back we go to young Electra. A bit later, she's defending herself verbally to Stick. What she was doing didn't feel wrong. She was told to finish it, so she did. Stick notes that while they're going to war, she has to tame her fire. Otherwise, everyone there will be scared to death of her. So, Pete, a little, uh, little notion there of kind of, kind of hide your light, kind of. There's this alternating admonishment and praise going on. It's no wonder this child is confused. No sooner has Stick yanked her off the young man she was about to kill, told her to breathe, and then whispered to her, uh, "Great job, nice work." Um, that no wonder in the following scene there, she can't figure out why she shouldn't be absolute. And it's followed through very well in this episode. 
Pete, it's surprising, isn't it, that we should have a character named Electra who has such daddy issues here? <laughs> Completely. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll go back to Sophocles. Uh, anyhow, uh, the narrative itself continues with uh, having her uh, fight again, this time fighting him. She goes to hit him in the past, and she hits, and we're back in the present day. Perhaps not the most uh, elegant of narrative devices, but boy, does it work. It's just like, I don't know, just it just hits the, hits the center of the target, as I like to say. I had not expected we would get a flashback for her, completely explicable, um, again, where this episode goes, necessary. But um, I loved that they threw it to you at the beginning of the episode and pepper it in throughout. We had had the discussion, Matt, off air when last episode ended that there must be some kind of feeling within Netflix original shows to end at a high point, a cliffhanger, if you will, so that people will binge to the next but smart at the same time to not always continue. You know, we think of the attack on the hospital ending, you know, two episodes ago and picking back up last episode as opposed to literally each episode just being a cutoff version of the next one. So kudos there. Yeah, as much as Netflix wants to position itself as completely open to creators and we'll whatever your creative vision is, we just want to get behind it and support it and leave it alone. Once they have data coming in, Netflix as the one paying the bill here must be saying things like, you know what? We, you know, we get X percent of the audience to get to episodes seven, eight, nine, and then there's a bit of a drop off. What can we do to address that? Well, making episode seven go right into episode eight and episode eight, go right into episode nine is a way to, move people past that hump if they're getting data like that. And I don't know, maybe they're not. Maybe this is just, hey, let's end on a couple of cliffhangers because we can and nobody's going to be annoyed that, oh man, I have to wait a week. But uh, definitely a bit of a pattern these last couple episodes. In the present here, Stick is knocked back uh, into a bookshelf in what, Matt, you're labeling where? Sticks NYC HQ. It's it's the, the the lingo you use when you're part of spec ops and all that. That the best you can do, Stick asks, to which Electra, of course, says that he has not seen her best yet. She must be waiting for Christmas. I like here that as they fight in the stacks of Sticks library, the elegance of the size becomes apparent. Uh, they are easier for fighting in close quarters. Uh, but I guess, Pete, at the end of the day, it's about the skillage in the village because one of those sighs becomes stuck in a book, and now it's Stick who has the advantage, his sword at her throat as she grabs the blade, cutting her hand very, you know, not, not just a callback to uh, the bleeding hands in the flashback, but also... Well, just... she's got gloves on, though. Still, it, it, it's, 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 she's grabbing a blade with her glove-ed hand. That's, that takes, uh, that takes chutzpah. It does, and, and... A sharpened blade at that but with uh daredevil interrupting them uh trying to get at the bottom of what's going on here it's a long story one we're going to get within the course of this hour um 
and uh, she tells him that he has no right to be there. And Stick tells him to get lost as well. Too little, too late. Get out or get hurt. Uh, interesting that Daredevil is thrust between two people who are so important in his life. And, um, you know, the, the subject of this not being his choice to not let Electra kill her former master and stick. Daredevil indeed there to enforce the no killing zone. And he almost has the situation calm down. And then Pete, it's like, it's like real life, at least for we in fantastic geek, everything has calmed down. Then ninjas descend lots and lots <laughs> of ninjas enough for two or three per hero in our story. One does get a sigh to the eye. I guess you could say Pete, he's the sigh eye guy. Matt, I can't tell our viewers how true to life this is that in a three-man booth, uh, not everybody gets out alive. (laughs) This is true. And just as our heroes start to win, the lights go out, the ninjas scatter to the pitter-patter of their quiet ninja feet. Oh, and they've taken stick. So uh, just as you said, Pete, the the three-man booth, suddenly a a two-person team. Well, just in time... Uh, they are outdoors. Uh, Matt takes his helmet off. He's listening. How do they do that? How are they able to get away? She has no answers for him. Electra does not. But uh, now it's a race to find him. And uh, if she finds him first, she's going to kill him. And if Matt gets in his way, she's going to kill him too. Speaking of that helmet, Pete, let me just take a minute to say that the show does a really nice job. Um, How do I want to put this? It is more than just the helmet that they make it appear to be when he pulls it off. There's a cowl component that goes underneath and all of that. And um, they hide that fact. I mean, almost kind of uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man style where... Because it appears on screen that he can just pop it off, and just in the Tobey Maguire movies, how it's like, oh, I pulled off, and it's like, you know, the stocking cap that just, you know, goes to my mm-hmm. neck. That whole illusion is really, really wonderful, because if you, if you know, if you pause Daredevil on screen for any moment, you'll see that there's there's more down the neck and all of that. And, and I, I appreciate how they just, they're going for the realism, but with the iconic suit, nope, when he needs to pop it off, he pops it off and and vice versa. Anyhow, Pete, I really appreciate how, as they, they are outside sticks uh, hideout here, uh, everything is bathed in that sickly yellow light that was used uh, to, to such great effect, particularly in the first season. Act one, Matt, begins where we had left a whole bunch of characters, some inexplicably dead, Pier 81, but this time in the light of day. It's, uh, it, it struck me at this moment, the grandeur of this production, that's a, that's a real boat that's really smoking. I'm not suggesting, of course, that in reality they, you know, blew up. I don't know, all that gunpowder or whatever. It certainly was quite an effect. You have extras galore, police lights, dummies, presumably, in uh, body bags. Thompson? And, uh, yeah, it, it's all there, Pete. And it's uh, it's it's quite the sight to see. Um, I, to my eyes, we had a good 15 or 20 uh, bodies there, all of them, of course, uh, being pegged to the Punisher. 
Pete, Karen is there too because active crime scene, why not? Exposition Mahoney says that uh, she can go home and that the police protection she had are now crossing guards, which was a, a good writerly flourish there. Uh, which and it, nicely helps me at least uh, put to bed my criticism of her slipping them so easily. So that the show acknowledges it. Bravo. Uh, it's also mentioned that she's lucky to have escaped the Punisher and that Karen thinks that the Punisher is is out there. Uh, but Exposition Mahoney does what he does best, Pete. He makes it clear. Frank Castle is dead. He's one of those bodies there. He's dead. And then he looks in the camera and says, that's the same for everybody at home. Frank Castle is totally dead. And then he winks at the camera just to make it really clear. Some of that might not have happened. I'm just in my notes. But he's totally, totally dead. Frank Castle <laughs> is killed off screen. Shocking news. Shocking conclusion here for the character. And with that, Karen leaves with a new police escort. Well, there's some interesting periphery to this scene, uh, one of which, of course, comes back in a big way. But uh, there's some discussion right as we open that uh, that the fingerprints were probably burned. But let's get some prints taken anyway before Karen and Brett have their conversation. Uh, Brett sneaks in a commercial for Ambien. Uh, in telling her to go home and uh, sleep. He calls it the real deal, which I thought was a little much. Um, and then, of course, mid-conversation, there's the rather scarred deceased gentleman who is being uh, bagged up there in addition to the 20 or so who, Matt, unless I missed something, it was... Castle on boat, guys show up, guys shoot after saying something to them, they all fall down. Uh, I, I would agree with that. I also, if you're going to fish people out of the water in episode 212, you know, it's like a reverse Chekhov's gun here. Can you have them go in the drink in 211? Um, because all you needed was a couple of guys, like guys on fire going in the falling in the but water I'm, I'm left to ask was there an actual gun battle or was it castle oh uh. red told me that this boat is loaded down with gunpowder this is a trap i will put their trap back on them that they apparently don't know is a trap kaboom uh, yes, I was misunderstanding your, your, your question. Yes, there is that too, that there's merely a large explosion that somehow We never saw people. him fire a weapon at these guys. And, and I would agree that that explosion was not sufficient to kill them all, particularly if it did kill them all, including, you know, Larry goon number 20 all the way in the back row, then it also should have logically killed, um, Frank, unless you're going to give us a scene of frank say jumping in the water and true lies style the the fireball going over the water which all of this could have been shown in the narrative in 211 it just wasn't needed in 211 but now you're right we're we're showing how it <laughs> we are demonstrating how it it should have been shown because it's all kind of it it's an ill-fitting jigsaw piece pete it, it was confusing and with uh thompson ordered to give Karen a ride wherever she needs. We wind up back at Nelson and Murdoch where Matt is doing some research in Braille. Foggy 
joins him, uh, noting that he has paid the electricity through the end of the month, so enjoy. Then what? Then, Matt, it's going to be cold and dark, kind of like their relationship. I get it. It's an internal and external conversation. Uh, it is a good line, though. And um, Foggy then goes into his office, and Matt kind of saunters on over. Hey, sorry about the whole not visiting you at the hospital thing, which that is a good writerly moment in yes. terms of we hadn't exactly missed it because we as the audience are able to benefit from the multiple points of view and the multiple storylines and all of that. But yeah, oops. Uh, Foggy shares that that other law firm, you know, the one that Marcy works at, they've got Foggy on his radar. Further asking the question, Pete, why are we teasing this place but not by name if they've already named the place and it would have been a cool moment to be like, yeah, um, well, I remember the chow part. I don't remember the other two parts, Pete. What's the name of the other? <laughs> what, what's the name of that 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 for? See, Pete, it's worked. Maybe this shows how secretly subversive the show is. They're erasing my memory of the law firm from my favorite Marvel TV show. H C B. The Hogarth. That's the H, and then it's Benowitz and Chow. See, it's all come back. Yes. Pete, Matt notes that Foggy is the heart of this place of Nelson and Murdoch. Should they should they give it one more shot? He's nope. like the Pete of Fantastic Geek, man. Absolutely, absolutely. Because uh, you are the Matthew. I, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, in fact, it is stated that Matt is done. Uh, that's with his research. So so he'll leave and let Foggy stay on the way out. Hey, what's Matt working on? <gasps> There's a glimmer of hope, Pete. He's re researching that group, you know, the one he's been working on that always disappears. How do they do it? Oh, Pete, it's they're coming back together here. Foggy notes that there's no way they're using subway tunnels because those are totally guarded and monitored, especially in this, you know, in this age of security and all that. Foggy and does dangerous as S139. Foggy does note though that uh, there are these abandoned tunnels which sound a lot like subway tunnels except they're not active, but they're totally Railway. different. Railway tunnels. Railway tunnels. It's it's it they're all not connected as it turns out. Um, which, which is what you'll find out if you try and take the L.I. double R from the, uh, from the West <laughs> side, you know, you know what I mean? Anyhow, it turns out Pete that Matt's bad idea was actually a good one that they, they could be using kind of subway tunnels. He just didn't know the difference between subway tunnels and uh, railway tunnels. Yeah. And that Foggy's grandfather was evidently a bootlegger who could go miles without daylight in these tunnels Despite the fact that they're gated up, he should be looking for manhole covers uh, because apparently that's the only place that manholes go to. Pete, this all makes perfect sense to me. This is how it is on Earth 199999, the, the Marvel <laughs> variant uh, that, that is like our reality, but a little bit different. Matt asks if Foggy wants Matt to convince Foggy that Nelson and Murdoch is worth one more try. It comes out a little bit more uh, smoothly than I just recapped it. Foggy did, but now they're done. If he had a mic, he'd drop it, and Matt and, leaves. And he's relieved, he says, that he didn't. We've had the breakup scene, Matt. Th this, was, this was a drunken hookup. This was a drunken info hookup that that happened here. You know, uh, Matt let his let his guard down. He had too many Long Island iced teas, 
and uh, allowed his ex to tell him where the where the railway tunnels are. But but they they got back to the apartment and they knew. All right, we we can't do this again. That is the most incredible metaphor that you've ever made uh, on a Fantastic Geek podcast, Pete. That's um, what I do. Wow. In a stellar shot, Daredevil opens a manhole cover and slides down the opening into a larger uh, tunnel area. Stuntman or not, hidden wire or not, it's just a great shot. It's a great moment to actually see Daredevil sliding down that, that initial manhole cover tunnel beginning thing. Those of you with knowledge of uh, subterranean uh, sewage and electrical systems, feel free to let us know what that I was going to say, I have to reach out to our brothers and sisters in that line of work. Why isn't there a ladder in there? Um, is it BYOL? It might be, Pete. Maybe that would dissuade. I, th- the- I mean, that's what I'm thinking. But at the same time, I mean, listen, that was. It had to have been a set, right? I would expect so, although... And then digitally finished? Maybe, but but we've seen some subterranean uh, locations, particularly in the, uh, in the last episode, where it looked awfully real. Now, I'm not saying, like, real as in they are actually in the sewer railway tunnels of New York. You know, it could be a sub-basement or whatever i don't know but um i have to imagine that was a set yeah at the bulletin uh ellison has had one of his reporters manning the scanner and has only just now found out about what's going on down at the pier i mean get you guys out there obviously story baloney in terms of getting Karen back there. But Matt, we're not done with story baloney at the New York bulletin yet. Not by a long shot. Pete, I know where you're headed and I agree that having somebody man the, the, the scanner does seem awfully paltry. I just want to point out something in my notes here. The first sentence of this scene is at the bulletin, Karen arrives at the teensy row of cubicles. That is the office. I'm going to throw a theory out here, Pete. Now I know that we are of course, in terms of a production, uh, you know, viewing Daredevil as a production, we're, we're, limited to the amount of set space you're going to set aside for this newspaper office we're not going to you know go all superman the movie and go to the daily news was it pete i don't know where they filmed i thought that all newspaper people knew where <laughs> but th- that was filmed at one of the new york newspapers so I, I i understand we're not going to do that i understand we're Are not going to build some sure because they beat the crap i've been re-watching old superman movies to get the new ones out of my mind and um Superman 2 in particular, I, I cannot imagine that was a working space given how they uh, destroyed it. I can't imagine they didn't go to Pinewood and, and build a full-on set and just do it there. It could have been a case where I, – I, I'm, I'm quite sure, and as we're talking, Pete, I'll, I'll find the answer. But um, I, perhaps it was a case a la Ghostbusters where you have the you have the real – location and then when you need to do special effects you cut to a set and with snappy editing and great set building you can't tell the difference entirely possible but um you know the conversation moves into uh ben's old office where karen has spotted up here and matt this just defies uh 
reasonable explanation for myself, someone with a lot of training and experience in this line of work. And we, we get the story point of why you're still interested in this story. You know more about him. You're going to cover what the story has become, which is tell us about Frank Castle, deceased Punisher guy, um, pathos for the villain. But, but Karen Page, to our knowledge, has never written a journalistic story. She is now tasked by this editor who, granted, is working with her, has admonished her before. Hey, don't get cocky. You're new at this. You got a knack for it, but you're new at it. Kind of walking her along. But never is there a, hey, you come with the facts. I'll sit with you and write it and we'll fill the Sunday page together. It's no, I need something to fill my Sunday edition. You will go out and get this story, which you have a knack for boom. I got a big problem with it. Couple of thoughts there. First of all, uh, indeed the actual headquarters of the, uh, the New York daily news was the, uh, the filming location for the daily planet, including the lobby with its, uh, with its, (laughs) well-timed globe there to be a planet to be the daily planet um also side note for all of you uh for all of you big fans there of of ayn rand she called the building the ugliest flattest most conventional meaningless unimaginative uninspiring of all the buildings she visited in preparation for the fountainhead there's your uh well ayn rand connection for the day um I hear what you're saying, Pete, about the operations at the Bulletin. And at the end of the day, the burden of the show is to demonstrate uh, a, a working newspaper. The story requires a working newspaper, and then some dramatic liberties are taken. That said, it's such a tiny office. Is it possible that they are in this downward spiral? I, I'm not saying it's – I'm not proposing that what I'm saying is probable. This is This is – me trying to take the the little dirty portion of the story here and sweep it under the rug, not to claim that it isn't dirt. Is it possible that they are in the downward spiral that publishing is and so on and so forth? And that <laughs> that it's not unbelievable that Ellison would be like, hey, sure, if you can get a thing, well, if somebody polish it up or whatever. I'll just point out as a real-world analogy, Pete, in the first season of House of Cards, the newspaper that... Um, uh, Kate Mara is working at then fire you know is fired from and goes to work for right. slu- for slugline that was an entire they filmed that in an, an entire wing of the Baltimore Sun is that the newspaper yeah. um an entire wing of the Baltimore Sun building that had been vacated due to cutbacks so no I mean listen that is a real issue print journalism is is dying. Okay, and um, the concept will never go away, much like this Frank Castle story. It has morphed into something different, but at least from a reasonable standpoint, let's not blow the viewer away by thinking, all right, Karen Page is now an investigative journalist and doing this to where the story later on sells it with her really bad questions to Colonel Schoonover. It, it, it is it is ultimately at the end of the day a bit of a, a a bit of a story leap there. I mean, I think I think that 
if we had the, the the writing staff with us now, they would say, but look, we laid all this story track. And, and she came in with a crazy story in the first season and, you know, some bits and bobs here and there and, and a really great reporter stitched it all together but wasn't backed up by his editor and then she comes back and the editor is now more prepared to take what she's saying and run with it and she's bettered her investigative uh aspects of her legal job and he's you know he he's now giving her more and more i think that's how it appeared on the the whiteboard in the writer's room but you're right it just there's a certain lack of authenticity it's, here it's not sold here at the very least you know Give me a, all right, you're going to be working really close with Johnson. You get the, you get the stuff and I'll put him on the words. Give me, give me at least that because otherwise, you know, viewers and Matt by extension, our listeners are smart and intelligent and they crave an explanation when something doesn't sit right. And this doesn't sit right. Clearly the intent was never to have her follow through on this because in hindsight with the episode, we know why we need to have her go out asking questions so she can uncover the blacksmith and, uh, you know, wind up at the end of his gun. And we'll talk about some of those story liberties in due course. In this scene, I want to point out that um, Ellison asked her why she still cares about Frank Castle. And her answer is he's not he's not a psychotic murderer. Uh, and then between the two of them, it's pointed out essentially no one has mentioned in context that he was a father who lost his family. Now, to be fair, the scene also gives due diligence to the fact that, yes, he's killed 30 people. But, Pete, I just want to put all that together in one sentence here. Karen's point of view is essentially this. Yes, he's killed 30 people, but no one has mentioned it in context that he was a father who lost his family. And killed 30 people. And killed 30... Like, there's, there, there is not... There's not only is there not the context for we the audience to buy that, and we sit a through the wall of you know the wall of fiction, so we don't need to care about the thirty fictional people he killed. Uh, furthermore, we can know that they were all bad people, and you know th there's all these layers where her pain doesn't need to be our pain. But he killed thirty people. There's no question here that he's a bad man who does bad things. He just happens to do it to worse people. So there's just kind of this there's this weird moment where we are uncoupled from Karen's point of view here when I, you know, in a certain sense, she's the most, I don't want to say down to earth because Foggy is more down to earth, but she is more the audience than anyone else in that she is uh, flawed and fearful, but, you know, optimistic to find the truth and, and, and seeing good in people and, and all those complexities. It's, it's, it's a strange scene, one, of course, that that uh, ends with Ellison leading her through this uh, kind of rousing speech here. It's not an expose, it's a profile. She needs more sources. People who knew him, this is her home now. Welcome to journalism, baby. <laughs> TikTok, Sunday's coming. Um, it's back where, to, to answer the point that you made before, Matt, she's projecting where Ellison said that she was before. Karen Page is a murderess. She has killed uh, at least Wesley, possibly, if not probably, her brother um, through an accident, not intent. And now, um, of course, she doesn't see a man who has killed many, many more people as a psycho murderer because he had a family. 
Anyhow, back to Daredevil we go. This, Pete, is this fabulous cavernous space that just goes on and on in every direction. Here, I especially have to ask if this was not a set. Uh, I doubt that this was some bootlegger's subterranean lair or whatever, but I would be shocked to hear that I, i'd be shocked to hear that this was a set i would be i, I would not these be are real spaces uh whatever industrial uh situation is closest to their studios there, there's way too much infrastructure for these to be sets well i think their sets are out of um the uh the brooklyn they are end of of the city so i mean certainly plenty of opportunity where you could find a space like this that is not decrepit but also not being used kind of in, you know as 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 that part of the city you know is experiencing a change and all that um it, it was just a fabulous space i don't mean to go on and on about it but it was it was just wonderful to have to within have that this. fabulous space though it's for the rest of the episode these shaky close-ups of daredevil's face in trying to track the i mean the the amount of ninjas matt that has been implied <laughs> throughout this season i mean no lie it's a million ninjas <laughs> there are a million uh you know <laughs> teenage ninjas serving the hand so wait and, and in that and Daredevil has killed about a hundred thousand. <laughs> Daredevil, well, Stick, and Elektra have killed about a hundred thousand of these million ninjas. And and in that they are also in the sewers, and in that they are not as normal humans. <laughs> now, Pete, what phrase could you could you use to describe a creature which which is um um has ha, has stepped away from the normal evolution of the species? You could say mutant. So these are teenage mutant ninjas. We're undead. almost there, Pete. Undead. Undead. I mean, well, but we don't know the nature of their undeadness. These could... are pre-20-something undead ninja dudes. P-T-U-N-D. Get on it. Hashtag it. It just rolls off the tongue there. Uh, anyhow, in this cavernous space, we have three silent P-tuned ninjas that sneak up. We can see them in the well-lit abandoned tunnel. Hey, it's TV. You can't complain. But Matt can't. He hears the whistle of the blade and fights them just long enough for two to scurry. And then in, in, in a really interesting moment, a third throws his sword away. He seems to know that Daredevil can't see him. And uh, he gets in a good hit, cutting his hand in the process. Blood on his face. Daredevil smiles. He can follow those blood drops. Yeah, from there, we head back to some dwelling where Karen is out of her car and ringing the doorbell. Uh, before we see who it is, we hear that, you know, thank you for seeing me so late. I hope I'm not disturbing your family. It's Colonel Ray Schoonover, Matt, played by the wonderful Clancy Brown. Uh, we That's have why they got him, him for one episode. It's actually two, and they needed his large presence so he could be in two non-consecutive uh, episodes. Yeah, and you know, not pointed out by us before, but I'll point it out now. We have had 
the warden from the Shawshank Redemption and mm. the screw, Matt, the worst guard, the most corrupt guard at Shawshank Prison coming in Daredevil season three or in Defenders, Morgan Freeman, Tim Robbins. This is uh, maybe the librarian who's dead. <laughs> <laughs> this is all this is all just rife with possibility. You're absolutely right. What has Tim Tim Robbins done lately? Morgan Freeman's constantly busy. What what's the last thing Tim Robbins was in? I bet you could scoop him up. I mean, uh, listen, there there are worse things to be known for than to to be a a reunion ground for, you know, uh alums of a beloved prison movie. Pete, did you enjoy the TV miniseries Spoils of Babylon in 2014? I did not. I've never heard of it. He was in that. How about the TV miniseries The Spoils Before Dying? No, but apparently this guy is really attracted to material with the word spoil in it. How about about the TV series The Brink that was on your HBO? Yet again, missed it. Um, I think Tim Robbins and and Marvel, uh, this is like a, a match waiting to happen in that one of them is perhaps sitting by the phone waiting for the phone to ring. Um, how about, are you looking forward to the film Marjorie Prime? No. Marvel, please cast Tim Robbins. He needs your help. But anyhow, back back to his old buddy, Colonel Ray Schoonover. Uh, he is happy to talk about the real Frank Castle. And it's in this scene, Clancy Brown is practically glowing with affability and gravitas. Karen asks if the colonel liked him, you know, as a, as a man or a friend. He notes that it's difficult to get close to anyone in war because you know you're going to lose someone, right? He mentions that Frank used to sing a song from his kid's favorite TV show. It would just make him crack up. He was also great at impressions. He could mimic all sorts of people, almost capture their soul. Ah, good old Frankie Castle, Pete. I I love what Brown brings to this character, particularly in this scene. Uh, the backloading of information about Castle. Karen's 10 cups of coffee deep, you know, because she's journalist now castle would have called that a good start because he's always wired there's the framed pictures all around the uh the study there um which are almost photoshopped enough to believe um you know the one where castle and schoonover are with uh not yet named soldier who has half of his face blown off then there's one of them photoshopped in front of the mountains in afghanistan and we're developing this affability for this character that we've only seen in court to this point in one scene and then it's i'm gonna look back at that framed picture and have a flashback to the guy I saw earlier in the day on the docks and start to put it all together. And I can only imagine that, Matt, you have some things to say about this scene as well. I'll read from my notes here. Karen looks at the colonel's pictures again, seeing a blonde man. Wait a minute. She saw a blonde man pulled out of the water last night. It's Gosel who lost half his face in application, uh, lost half his face in Afghanistan 
is the implication that she's seeing things, seeing wrong connections? Pete, I was giving my show, giving the show my all and wasn't quite sure where they were headed. Um, the colonel then says that he wanted to keep helping. Uh, and what? Then he pulls a gun on Karen. I found it incongruous. Yeah. And, and, and I will admit it was not in this scene um, where, for me anyway, it became clear that he was the the vaunted baddie, the blacksmith that they have been. Uh, they and the NYPD and Madame Gao have all been chasing after. And that he was in view the entire time. Okay, I get it that we had dropped before that his heroin was coming in from the Middle East and that it wasn't a connection that seemed A to B uh, enough misdirect to get it. But and and I'm sure that we will come to some story information as to how you go from decorated soldier who lost his arm, what Frank did that uh, he didn't want to tell Karen that Schoonover was later goading him to do, but to go A to B to C decorated soldier uh, now heroin, you know, pusher uh, blacksmith. It, it, it seemed extreme on top of the fact of, well, Gosnell got out of the, out of the hospital and he wanted to know what he could do to help me again. And I put him to work and then Frank killed him and you knew Frank. So you must know this because you saw a blonde man too, which you have not said, Oh, that looks like the blonde man I saw at the docks today who had half of his face blown off already. Oh, I got you, Mr. Blacksmith. She didn't know. And that he's pulling the gun here. That's where I had a huge issue with the scene where I had to go back and watch it. Wait a minute. Does he suspect her? Does he suspect that she knows or is this you came and you asked me questions and all right, the kids are out of the house, but apparently his wife may be home. <laughs> Pete, you use the metaphor a to B to C. I would call it more like a to D to E. I, I see how we've gone from, and I'm the blacksmith who set up all this network, and now you found me, so now is time to escalate. But I don't get how we got there so fast. And you, Pete, in your in your wisdom as a soothsayer who knows the future, have said that we may get more on this. Uh, I would assume you mean in the next episode, given that is the last in, in what is available and has been made. Uh, but... They have some story sins to make up for in the next uh, in the next episode in regards to in regards to this bad guy. Well, Matt, you know, Karen asks him, hey, Colonel, did you did you catch the news last night? There was a shipyard with an explosion. Oh, um, stammer. Yeah, stammer. Something about a drug deal gone south. Stammer. Okay, TV code for I'm involved. I don't know if you think I was involved, yet you've asked a question about something which I was involved in, and I have a gun here. 
Well, when you put it like that, it's, it's perhaps a, a bit more obvious. I hadn't quite picked up on the stammering. Maybe it's just because Clancy Brown is so hypnotic that his confusion, I just thought, this man is confused. Why are you asking the colonel these questions? Like, what did you think of him as a man? <laughs> that... why, why are you asking those questions as a, as a friend? <laughs> did you like him? Did you ever ever lie with him in a biblical sense? Are you implying that these are the questions of a less than trained reporter in interview technique? Uh, Pete, I think that I think that some of the nuance that that uh, greater reporters for great metropolitan newspapers would have employed. She did not employ here. Uh, I point as proof the gun drawn on her at the end of the scene. Do you like things and stuff? <sighs> Did he also share your affinity for things and stuff? <laughs> well, again, when you put it like that, some of the weaknesses um, are shown, and I think there are more weaknesses to discuss in the future for this episode. But we're not there yet. And... Again, it's always done with love, because I can already hear people pre-writing the email. But, sorry, this is an episode that has some weaknesses. It is. It is not the strong point. For the the strength of the reveals, it, it was not their strongest effort of the season, that is, or of the series to date. Uh, it goes without saying. Uh, we shift Matt from there back to the tunnel. Uh, Daredevil picks up on the blood on the ladder. He climbs into a room where there are three ninjas waiting for him and stick who borderline telepathically is telling him he's doing it wrong. We understand obviously that, uh, Daredevil was employing his super hearing to hear this. Um, Matt, we're going to talk about it in our, uh, theory segment. So he tells him here that you're tracking their weapons. Um, you know, and, and one is, uh, so they dropped it and one goes to pull the sword and the other stops him because apparently he wasn't at the meeting of, Hey, don't let him hear your weapon. Cause he can do that. He's told here that tracking heartbeats is kid stuff. Time to go deeper. Sooner or later, they got to exhale. When they do, kick their ass, which should be asses. But anyway, you know, he can he can speak grammatically incorrect. While in Japanese, a man is asking him, where is it? Pete, wouldn't it be speaking grammatically incorrectly? <laughs> but... Help me, Matt. Tracking heartbeats, kid stuff, listening to somebody breathe. Not? (laughs) Pete, I'm struck by how you have shone the light here. And of course, you're absolutely correct because I know some people who can hear people breathe. It's most people. Whereas hearing the heartbeat is the more difficult thing. Um, And and as presented in the episode, it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Cool. Now he's got to like do more of the thing. Uh, but you're right. It is a bit of a it, it is a bit of a backtrack. It it took me out of the scene to be asking myself questions like how how is that deeper? And 
you know, for, for him to be able to do this and then beat them up. Nice work kid. And then we've got Hirochi working on them, working on him with another man telling him here, you leave us no choice. You'll soon answer the questions and never told what the, the sticks are there. I can only assume bamboo that. They oh, absolutely. Stick. That's, that's, that's de rigueur for, yeah. for questionable bad guys wanting to torture. <laughs> Uh, you know, underneath his his fingernails and into his fingers. But we go back to Karen outside the house there trying the old, oh, you know, I, I, I won't write anything. No one will know because I'm not even a real reporter. Uh, they get into her car and she starts it. Pete, there's music playing. Pete, it unfortunately is not make your own kind of music by the mamas and the papas. It's it's some other of the rockings and the rollings. But Pete, I like here, unless unless you're gonna tear down this wall too with the light of the light of uh, of of close uh, inspection, I like that it's it's made clear by her face that she didn't put the music in and I like that the show isn't overselling it. She has this realization that Frank is out there and so on and so forth. Am I right about that, Pete, or is there another glaring error here? I did not pick up on that, that Earth, Wind and Fire's Shining Star is playing, again, the tape mat that she inherited when she inherited the car, which she previously put in the um, glove compartment in the previous episode when Frank had been listening to it as he waited to kidnap her. Yeah, I, I didn't pick up on it. I... I almost wish I had that he put it in there, that that was some kind of signal. I certainly read it as such and read it as, as um, well signaled to the audience. Um, but I guess you're saying Pete, you, it wasn't message received for you. No. Cause I got behind, Hey, she took that out and put it in a glove box <laughs> Why would that be a secret signal? In in retrospect, her driving down the road, looking around, now makes far more sense. But again, it's these leaps, Matt, and the audience is not stupid that it needs to have it spelled out. But at the same time, I think there's a better trail of breadcrumbs that, particularly in this episode, is is not laid down. And I'll do you one further. If you're Frank Castle and you've gotten to her car and you presumably have followed the path uh, to the uh, to the blacksmith to this house, whether he knows it's the colonel's house or, or, or you know his colonel's house or not, why don't you just stay in the at the edge of the tree line with your you know gun, and when somebody comes out that isn't Karen. Um, go attack him or go shoot him or like there seems to be this bit of conceit here because we want him to get to the end of the episode in the shed and all of that which we'll get to in due course but i i don't know why there's not a better military solution which is to continue to watch he's made it to her car so just watch her car from a safe distance and and let things proceed from there um regardless though this particular scene ends with uh, just as she's told to pull over the car gets T-boned on the colonel's side and uh, more intrigue on that in a bit. 
stick has more of these uh, bamboo rods placed underneath his fingers. He is no closer. It doesn't matter. They're going to continue till they break him a mat. But you know what's going to crack tonight, too, is their skulls. Uh, Daredevil comes in, of course, to rescue. Stick bites Hiroji's ear off, which apparently is painful enough to get him to lose consciousness because there's that, that he had his ear bitten off and now he's down for the count, which maybe. <laughs> um, and uh, he's stick is loosened up there. But before they uh, get away, there's a really nice moment here between stick and uh, Matt where stick tells him he's done. He's done well. Uh, they hug um, that he's just done what stick taught him to do. Uh, even, you know, it, it felt like code TV code, Matt, for this, this is the end of Scott Glenn's character, Maddie, I'm proud of you. And then Electra comes in. I didn't take it quite as far as now, now he's had the moment of realization and now he's going to die, but certainly it was that, that nice father and son moment and, and some sort of understanding between them and uh with electra's uh return there she wants to finish what she started and i like that uh, they don't they don't uh fool around at all she throws her sigh not just for emphasis but i think for the kill shot and matt catches it mm-hmm. in midair which is a, a a nice moment electra is pushing the the daddy angle here in regards to uh, uh, Stick being both the, the loving father and the abandoning father. Then Nobu arrives saying that that great line here, children are pushed to be independent and then suddenly they are no longer under our control. That is kind of what's happening here, isn't it? Absolutely. And uh, to tell them why we're all here tonight, you, the loyal one and it. And in a flashback here, Electra is going to town on a heavy bag and uh the bruised kid from before comes in she apologizes for what has happened she says she should have stopped he draws a knife they fight she slits his throat star who is the observing man of earlier also, flashback scenes matt the guy for which the weapon is named very very true uh, he says to Stick that he has to stop that thing. He agrees, but instead slits Star's throat. Uh, back to Nobu in the present day we go. He says he needs it, and Electra scoffs at being called it. Uh, Nobu's and Electra's exposition reminds the audience that uh, that the hand is led by a lie called the Black Sky. But wait, it's not a lie, it's the truth. Uh, here we have more of Daredevil and Stick whispering to each other. I, I rather liked the camera work. What's going on? We've lost the war. And then Pete, the, the reveal. you don't believe in. Uh, that was great. That was well done. Um, and for Nobu to say here that it's, it's not a myth, that we've watched you since you were a child. You were taken from us, but now returned. And indeed, that that shocking reveal that Electra is the Black Sky. Um, Nobu draws his blade and bows to her, and that was when kind of the 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 bell went off in my head. Pete, wait a minute! That black and red outfit of hers—it does kind of fit with the ninjas better, doesn't it? 
It does. Uh, Daredevil, of course, does not want her to embrace this darkness within her that she has always struggled with. Still not quite clear of the stakes, Matt. We, we've seen at least one other child labeled as a black sky. I'm really anxious for more of this, and it's obviously a, a tantalizing mystery that has stretched both seasons of the show to date. Um, their greatest living weapon uh, the, the black sky is referred to as, but Daredevil says that not to listen. This is another illusion, a game. He wants something from you. Um, and th this notion of control that this discussion has centered in on, but she's rationalizing it now, trying to figure out her place and that this makes sense. It explains everything. She takes the sword. For Electra, it's a moment of realization. This is why everyone, uh, at least in the in the chase, has been been viewing her through uh, through such strange eyes. And uh, it, it's clear now. Nobu and the ninja are bowing to serve her, and uh, she tells Matt to leave her. We flash back one more time with uh, Stick pairing Electra off to an unnamed family that has no children. I bet it's the Nachios family. He tells her to watch them mimic their ways, you know, their hoity-toity ways. Um, and uh, Stick tells young Ellie that he'll tell her the whole truth one day, but for now he must leave her. He'll never forget her, though, never abandon her, which is uh, a well-timed flashback since now we're seeing the day that she's being told the whole truth. I dare say, Matt, that the idea of telling her the whole truth is not something that comes up there. Uh the family that she's being left with, it's an ambassador and his wife. Uh, I think one can only assume this is the Nachiosis. And um, it's the emotion that's present in this scene that sticks with me. Um, when she says she doesn't want to stay with them, um, they'll never have me. It's you know, use your head, watch these people. And then it's this great emotional moment from a man playing a blind man. Um, when he's told here, uh, you'll train somebody else. Uh, you know, you will, you'll forget me. And he says, how can I ever forget my Ellie? He puts that hand in front of her face and, and then embraces her. Never. He tells her. And, um, we come back, from the flashback that she pretended her whole life. She tried to control what was inside of her and um, maybe she doesn't have to anymore. She can embrace it and become what she's meant to be. It, it, it certainly is a compelling scene. Um, Matt says that uh, Matt says that uh, he shouldn't get in her way and uh, he, he walks towards her sword reminding her that he is the enemy of the hand, the implication being, therefore, if you're part of the hand, then uh, push the blade through. Uh, he then grabs the sword, and he has her at the uh, the business end of the sword. Uh, he tells her that she can still make a choice. Uh, Stick takes one of those uh, bamboo... Uh, I was going to say skewer, but that really does undersell it, doesn't it? The bamboo torture stick. It's definitely thicker than a skewer. It, it's got some body to it. I would imagine... 
that thing is the width of a chopstick. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, that is a pointy, sharp chopstick. Yeah. Uh, th- that ends up in one of the ninjas, and the fight starts early on. Um, a sword gets battered away from, from a ninja and toward the camera, and the camera kind of moves to the right. I think, Pete, that that was a glorious mistake caught on film. An errant prop sent flying and a heads-up cameraman with his uh, steady cam moving out of the way, combining to make a really, really effective moment. Um, I can't imagine you would even have a, a, a prop sword head towards an expensive camera and a guy who could get hurt on the job. <laughs> the action aside, before the fighting starts, she says, maybe this is her chance. And Matt says for what to be loved and that's what this all comes down to and realizing in the moment that though this group this hand may worship her it it's not the love that she's thirsty for in her soul and hence the conflict stick taking the uh the skewer there and and going to work and then hey, yeah, in the middle of this, let's go check out on Karen in that car crash. Uh, indeed, she stumbles out of the car, hurt, but giving all the signs of being vaguely dazed in the TV sort of way. Uh, she follows the trail of blood, suspecting that Frank is around the corner, and uh, the, the, the scene then moves a bit farther down the forest path, where the colonel is monologuing, as the best villains do, about the $100 million of heroin. And that's when I said, wait, so he's officially the blacksmith? Pete, was I was I slow on the uptake on this, or, or was it not laid out properly? Much like the sins of this episode, Matt, it, it requires the viewer to make a conclusion. And again, for viewers not being stupid we want confirmation. Okay. He's taken to a shed with a bunch of power tools. <laughs> a blacksmith does not that make. How about a mustache twirl of, you think you can defeat me? The black. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do like the bit there in the shed where um, the Colonel says that it must be like a candy store to the Punisher. The implication being, what will the tool of torture be? Frank reminds him, one shot, one kill. That's what this very colonel taught him, and then he shoots him in the head. So at least it's clear here, Pete, though though we, we might not have always been clear as to the, the blacksmith's identity in life. We can be clear that he's dead here. Something I felt clear about as well, but clear in a negative way was as we see Karen walking away disappointed and crying it's an oddly played moment so Frank has killed his 31st person does that make it worse than the previous 30 heck it turns out that um Colonel Schoonover was also flooding New York with lots and lots of heroin and the whole criminal infrastructure around it I'm certainly not saying therefore he you know 100% deserved to be killed by a you know, a deranged vigilante, but I, I, I'm rarely mourning the death of a drug. Uh, well, I was going to say kingpin, but we don't say that word. No. But you know, the, the, the head of a drug enterprise is killed here. I, I don't see how that's much of a downside. It creates questions 
back to his appearance in court. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Matt was in the scene where Schoonover was. I believe so. Yes. If, if that slaughter where Frank turned it around after Schoonover lost his arm was more than a military operation. I don't know, more like seizing of, and again, I say this with no spoilers coming, you know, more of taking over a, a, an opium operation or, or who knows what, um, wouldn't Matt have picked up on the deception? I would have to go back and look at those questions. Something tells me, I mean, look, they must have written that scene with the knowledge of the reveal that would happen. So it must have been written in a way where he can convincingly tell his narrative and it's all true while leaving out the things about which he is not lying because he's not saying them. Uh, so I would give the flexibility there. But again, there's kind of this, there's this weird wiggle room that the episode is requiring of the audience. So Pete, we have just seen Frank Castle kill his mentor then the story moves back to Electra, where there's some story mirroring the young protege is now helping her mentor yeah having uh turned down at least for the time being the the hands offer of uh whatever that was <laughs> still not quite clear um you know, he, he's sat down there, stick is, and, uh, you know, they're, they're both panting. They're, they're trying to get it back together. Um, Matt is the subject of their conversation that he's, he's still going to be upset that I just saved you. Electra just saved him. And you're worried about what he thinks, but he stick makes it clear that Matt didn't come to rescue me. He came to save you. He knew that this would have been your point of no return, which is well done there that it's meandered to that. He thinks that you're worth saving. So you need to earn that. Earn this. <laughs> Back. We go to the shed. Frank looks solemn for having taken the life of his mentor. He goes to grab a tarp and that reveals the, beginning of the hidden gun room and then please there's be more a secret room to... please be a secret room Yay. <laughs> um there are enough guns in there pete for there to be even more punishing and there's body armor to spare the music pulses with the energy of a big reveal you... for punisher's Did... destiny to be revealed it, it just kind of felt very deus ex machina to get us to a and the punisher's journey continues Did kind you of moment note the pattern on the body armor yet not with the colors. No, I didn't. And I, yeah, I was the, taking, taking a good look at it. What was it, Pete? The, the skull, um, you know, the distinct Punisher skull pattern is there, but done in realistic body armor, all of one color. Okay. You know what? I, I would be so interested to go back and look just because. Oh, it took a second viewing from me. Okay. To see that it comes to a, it's got the the four or five vertical lines down the bottom and you know over the um, the upper chest it's got the eyes uh, coming in at an angle 
almost as if to guard his nipples in case somebody goes for a nipple shot. Pete, the Punisher is nothing if not uh, very careful in how he uh, well listen. How, how I mean, he protects this, himself. This design could have you know blown up in their face, and you would have had the the nipple suit from you know Batman and Robin. All the more reason, dear listeners, if you only learn one thing from this podcast for this episode, it's whatever you do, protect your nipples, please. Frank Castle's fingers twitching there, Matt. We're back to Daredevil where the ninjas pant. Uh, Nobu joins the fray there. He tells uh, Matt that it will be theirs that he cannot stop what they've started. Uh, they fight, and Daredevil kicks him off the platform there, seemingly to his death. There's more panting. His eyes open, and he tells all of the ninjas, some of the million, that apparently the hand has under its sway. Daredevil must die. Jackson, you're already badgering the witness. Well, what do you want me to give him a testimonial dinner? Who brought the heat into Hell's Kitchen in this episode? Pete, let's start with the ninjas, the millions and millions of unstoppable, unending ninjas. Um, many of whom lay down their life for the cause of the hand. I particularly appreciated the, the brotherhood among the ninjas in this episode the one who covers the one guy who was apparently working his other job when they they had the speech or the memo about hey this blind guy can hear your sword put that back the running upstairs and and looking ready to go and some who gave all matt who had their eye taken out by a sigh Sai eye guy. I like, and I say this without any sense of uh, irony or, or making fun, I like that it's as simple as not putting in sound effects for their footsteps to make them completely silent. It, it's one of those things where we, we are told they are silent, then we are shown they are silent, and it appears that way on screen, and, and thus it is. There's kind of no need for further explanation there. Um, it, it's a simple trick, but but a good one. Matt, Colonel Ray Schoonover, maybe blacksmith? See, Pete, you say maybe blacksmith, and now I don't know what to believe, because I thought that he was outed as the blacksmith, just not in the most elegantly written way. And you know what? It's been a perfectly fine season, and, and I would say it has improved over last season in areas that we didn't know were weak last season. So you get, get a little bump in the road here now if it's like he's the guy behind the guy but there's it's it, it, it's Rachel ghoul all again who is it is it ken Montanabi? is it is it is it the jedi guy is it taken guy i'm just uh, now i'm just even more confused pete wait we have to watch this next episode pronto well get, i do you've seen it a million <laughs> times you get clancy brown back and and you give him a lot to to chew here there's the great stuff humanizing Frank with impressions. And by the way, can we just get one scene where, you know, Frank does his daredevil impression or, 
you know, makes fun of Foggy or something like that. Can I, I just hope we get it at some point because <laughs> it's been teased for us. You know, <laughs> I don't want to hear his Obama. I want to hear his, you know, his maybe his Colonel Ray Schoonover. I don't know. Um, Are you maybe he does an impression of President Matthew Ellis, president maybe, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Maybe he does that. No one will get. <sighs> Pete, we can hope, particularly with I, – like I don't know what happens in this next episode, but I know that they're talking more Daredevil possibly down the line. So I'm going to assume uh, – not not just more Daredevil, pardon me, uh, more uh, Punisher as well. So I guess I guess we will see. We will see with all that. Pete, who's left on the baddie list? I mean we have we have the ninjas. We have Schoonover slash, slash uh, the blacksmith maybe. Is there anybody else? Nobu. Such a welcome presence. I mean, he's he's given um, he's given not many lines, but he has to make a big impact, and uh, gotta gotta give props for that. I like the subservient nature that he's cast. Once he has the black sky there, that he offers the sword, that everything is in service of that. Does it answer these? other mysteries that have gone along with this what's what's in the urn what does the blood do how are these guys uh coming back from the the dead um can they only die once it doesn't answer any of them i just assumed that was set up for my hope is that it's set up for next episode i think the marvel netflix tv thrust would be ill-served if much of that is going to be pushed off to Iron Fist or Defenders. Let's get in the urn and let's get some explanations, even if it's going to then lead to more of a to-be-continued type thing for, for down the line. Your Honor, may I approach the bench? May I approach the bench? time to step aside and approach the bench to discuss some off-the-record theories. You be the judge. Pete, let's start with uh, what you had floated there before. The possibility that the blacksmith presented here is not the blacksmith, and there's going to be more big bad blacksmith in the future, which currently stands at one episode here, and then future episodes of Daredevil are still kind of in question because Defenders needs to get made and contracts only go so long things of that sort schoonover specifically mentions in the scene where he pulls the gun on karen page that some are loyal some are not it implies that frank was offered an opportunity to join the enterprise and refused it However, Frank does not know who the blacksmith is and seems to have followed Karen with the idea that he's either protecting her or uh, that he's put it together. So definitively, Matt, I think it's very hard to say, given the evidence that we have through this episode, not looking ahead What's here? Here's another one for you, Pete. When young Ellie slit the throat of her her chaste attacker, 
was that her first kill? Uh, that first kill having been referenced in prior episodes. I'm not sure. And I'm going to tell you why. Uh, she was pounding on that guy who had blown her the kiss before they started sparring again, if if that's what they were only doing. Um, so to think that when she lost it and was going off, that she was close to killing him, as pointed out by Star, that Stick had to stop it. I don't know if if that's definitively that murder. Um, she said she had done it to see whether she could do it or not. This didn't denote any kind of indecision. I certainly would agree there that there's not that through line of uh, her giving thought, as with the, the original story, with her giving thought of you know, do, do I take this one step further versus the kind of immediate primal rage on her face as shown? I think we're meant to link those two up. And if so, it's it's an imperfect link in an episode that that while not largely problematic, there are there are many mislandings that this episode has. Matt, I mentioned it before. We'll come back to it. What's harder to track heartbeats or breaths uh heartbeats at least for me i think for most people who aren't walking around with stethoscopes so i again just explain to me as the viewer why that's going deeper is it that hey uh i will tell you as nobu that we train our warriors not to even breathe because of undead stuff that's done to them, hence harder to track. Boom, works better for me, as opposed to people breathe, sometimes you can hear it. <sighs> that was me breathing into the microphone. Matt, sometimes I lean away when I go to breathe, like on Day, Chocolate Rain. But, but, I'm pretty sure a heartbeat is harder to hear, which makes the skill that much more impressive when Daredevil is able to use his human lie detector skill so didn't didn't work for me took me out and uh please come back to it we've been using our enhanced senses to monitor the frequencies here's what you had to say Pete, we both had a chuckle when J.J. Nato on Twitter, Jeff John Cox, uh, sent us a, uh, a picture uh, originally created by Cracked.com, which, uh, which predicted Aubrey Plaza playing uh, Squirrel Girl in Marvel's Squirrel Girl, a Netflix original series. Uh, that, of course, done in joke. Uh, my response to him essentially was, if you're going to mix together Aubrey Plaza and Marvel, I'm there that just sounds fun, let alone, you know, who knows what the future holds for, uh, for, for Marvel there, but whatever it is, we'll, we'll be on the way with it. Don't laugh. That's being considered and maybe not in the iteration presented there, but squirrel girl is wildly popular, um, is the type of thing, whereas cloak and dagger is going to the former family channel, um, 
for Marvel TV and will be live action. Squirrel Girl is going to find a landing spot eventually. So, yeah, I mean, in a day and age where we're talking a potential Punisher spinoff, and of course, we'll evaluate that as we um, podcast the Daredevil season two finale later this week. There's a lot going on, Matt. I think Marvel is very smart not to overmine the um, the infrastructure at this point. There, there certainly is a lot going on, and uh, Jeff's uh, joking tweet does give us uh, us an opportunity to say not just are we doing the the season finale uh, later this week. That means that um, that means that we'll do the season two wrap up uh, a week from now. And uh, if you're listening to us on the Pop Culture Podcast, we'll, of course, be doing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, across both feeds. We'll, uh, we'll be announcing in the coming weeks what we have uh, in store for the summer. We do have uh, something in mind. I, I won't even begin to tease it here, Pete. I'm under, I'm under strict orders to keep it locked down, <laughs> away from spoiler, Pete. Um, away but... from me, so I'm not even involved. Wow. <laughs> well, it, it, it's the, it's the schoonover spoiler pete that i'm trying to keep it away from but the blacksmith spoiler pete or the blacksmith pete is the one who has a hand in it if that makes any sense i, I guess um <laughs> but um it's you know there there's certainly tons of podcasting ahead and uh if if you are new to the fantastic geek a family of podcasts we hope that uh you stick with us through the summer and uh for the the future ahead of us with agents of shield whatever Else will be on ABC and uh, Netflix. And, uh, of course, in the next month, ABC will be giving us a better idea what's coming and all that. So fruitful times ahead. And hopefully if you do enjoy what we do and uh, as it rolls out in the future, you can head over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek to help make it happen. Yeah. Again, the, the graciousness with which people have been visiting our Patreon page, let alone uh, pledging and donating for the costs that, uh, you know, we accrue in the, uh, putting out of this podcast has, has just been really, really heartening. And, uh, we cannot thank you enough. We are constantly, uh, evaluating, uh, uh, freebies, uh, promos, things we're going to put up there, uh, rewards, for you so uh thanks so much and uh if you haven't found something you like there to to motivate you just yet just know there's more coming absolutely and pete of course the greatest gift is being able to talk to you on twitter how can people do so that one's for free by the way (laughs) you can find me on twitter at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j-k-e-t-e-l AAR 7,609 followers. Can't be wrong. And I am, of course, looking back lost on Twitter. But to be in touch with the podcast, we are Fantastic Geek. That is fantastic with the P and the H. And we are under that name on the dot com, the Gmail, the Twitter, and the Instagram, and more. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word. Like it now. Well, with that, Pete, I can't believe there's only one more episode left, and we'll be back uh, before you know it to discuss that, and then a little bit, uh, you know, about a week from now to, to wrap up the season. 
and uh, of course we'll update the feed beyond that as there's more uh, Daredevil news and Defenders news so uh, the end in sight but uh, certainly more adventures farther down the road so I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word Daredevil must die Oh,